Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast. Today, for episode 231, are you thinking about creating a hardware wallet? And how would this work if you wanted to do this as part of a multi-signature quorum? Well, Stepan Snijurev is rejoining me. He's the CTO of Crypto Advance, and he's a very well-known hardware wallet maker in the space. And we talk about Spectre DIY. So we talk about why make your own security model versus other hardware wallets, air gapping with QR codes, how to use this as part of a multi-signature setup, as well as some updates on Spectre Desktop. Also, Stepan has an announcement about the Spectre Solutions web store, so listen out for that one. This show brought to you by swanbitcoin.com, the best place to auto-stack your BTC in the US with incredibly easy setup and low fees. They have recently announced availability in New York, so Swan is available in all 50 US states. They've got a range of new features too, like XPUB support by Gigi, so you might want to get a hardware wallet and use that to automatically withdraw to a new address every time. Swan's service is built around regular stacking, but if you want to wire money in for a special smash buy, support is coming very soon. They're Bitcoin only, they're focused on teaching people to self-custody, so you should send all your new coin of friends there. This is a company focused on helping customers stack sats safely and easily. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash New York to sign up. This show also sponsored by CypherSafe, CypherSafe.io, producing the CypherWheel product. So we're talking about multi-signature and security and backups. Well, make sure you have invested in backing up your BIP39 seed in a way that is fireproof, waterproof, rust-proof, pet-proof, and tamper-evident. The CypherWheel is a metal backup product coming in a wheel shape, and it masks the words of your seed. And it's also got a padlock tamper-evident seal, so you know if it's been opened. So make sure you or your loved ones have access to your Bitcoins if an accident occurs. Go and order yours at cyphersafe.io and use the code LAVERA for a discount. Knox is a Bitcoin custodian dedicated to ensuring their insurance protection covers the full value of their customers' assets. For example, suppose a fiduciary wants to hold $250 million of Bitcoin with Knox. Knox will seek to obtain $250 million of insurance dedicated exclusively to that account and adjustable to volatility. No fractional coverage or narrow scope. Insurance for what it's worth, a tool to transfer risk. If you are a Bitcoin company, investment fund, trust, or family office, check out Knox for your insured custody. That is knoxcustody.com. Stepan, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Stefan, for having me. Uh, happy to be here again. Yeah, so I see you and Ben and the team and Moritz at Crypto Advance have been doing an excellent job with Spectre Desktop and also Spectre DIY. So I'm excited to chat a little bit about this. So can you tell us a little bit about why you went about doing this project? Uh, yeah, so I'm very happy that uh, I actually uh, here now. Uh, it's like a perfect timing because uh, we just released, uh, made a new release uh, of Spectre DIY. Uh, but yeah, first about uh, why. Uh, basically, uh, I think that more hardware wallets is better and uh, more different security models is also better. Uh, so uh, originally we started designing Spectre DIY as a, uh, one of the multi-signature uh, cosigners uh, for your uh, host, um, for a cold storage. Uh, and uh, we also wanted to uh, make the security model flexible because uh, normally with hardware wallet vendors, what you have is what they decide is good for you. 
Uh, and uh, our idea was to make it more like a, a developer tool and uh, also a tweakable hardware wallet, let's say a first hackable hardware wallet, even though it uh, sounds terrible. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, you can actually adjust according to your security model. Yeah, uh, so you mean hacking in the good way, right? Hacking in hacking the, in I'm the toying around way. as opposed to I'm <laughs> attacking you and stealing the secret out of this hardware wallet kind of way, right? Uh, yeah, so it's more like uh, tweaking it according to uh, how you feel more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, so can you just give us a bit of a background for listeners who are not familiar? What is, what is it, what does it look like? What are some of the kind of key points to note about this? Um, yeah, so uh, the main idea was that uh, first we want to avoid supply chain attacks. Uh, so we started developing it uh, from off-the-shelf components. Uh, and as a base, we use uh, developer boards uh, by STM Microelectronics. So it is a pretty nice board with a, a large screen and uh, the microcontroller is pretty capable, but uh, pretty much similar to uh, the microcontrollers that run on Trezor, Ledger, um, and Cloudcard, basically on all of the hardware wallets. Uh, and then, uh, because I'm paranoid, uh, I also thought that it would be nice to have a, a good air gap and still uh, convenient. So we decided to add a QR code scanner. Uh, and at the moment, what we have is uh, this discovery board plus the QR code scanner. Uh, so we can uh, be completely air gapped and we have a full control of the data flow. So yeah, QR codes are uh, very limited uh, in uh, amount of data that it can transfer, uh, but also you have better control. So like either you're scanning or you're scanning back. So you control everything and you can stop if something doesn't look right. Uh, and uh, uh, recently we also added uh, support for uh, secure elements because, uh, well, <clears throat> better to have an option uh, to have a secure element and we do it uh, with Java cards. Uh, so these are basically this uh, plastic cards that you normally use for your government IDs, for banking uh, cards and uh, all of these kind of things. Uh, and uh, you can actually program it if you buy one uh, also off the shelf. You can program it to do what you want. Uh, and we developed a, a Java card applet for that uh, as well, such that uh, you can, uh, even with all this DIY approach, you can still have some hardware security. Mm, yes. Great. So uh, with the Java card, what's required to make it able to read that? Do you need another part to add to the kit or how does it work? Um, yes, so uh, unfortunately we were not able to find uh, uh, extension boards uh, on the market that supports this uh, smart card slot. Uh, so we had to design our own uh, and uh, this slightly ruins the idea of uh, only off-the-shelf components. Uh, but uh, as I said, uh, Spectre is made very mm, flexible, so you don't have to use them. Uh, and uh, yeah, so what we uh, currently did, we uh, manufactured a bunch of these uh, extension boards uh, and we are uh, putting them uh, online on the web shop so people can actually uh, get them. But again, uh, it's not uh, critical. I mean, it's nice to have, uh, but it doesn't must to have, right? So uh, you can uh, live without it as well. 
I see, yeah. And so just for listeners who might not have seen this before, there are some videos floating around on Twitter and on the internet around how to make this and what it looks like. But essentially, it's kind of iPhone-sized and it's got a screen and it's also got the QR. So that's just so you have a rough idea if you haven't seen roughly what it looks like and stuff. So can you just talk us through what's the process look like if you want to make one? Um, so in our GitHub repository that I think that we will uh, link in the description, uh, we have a document uh, called Shopping, uh, where we basically list all the parts that you need to buy. Uh, you need to buy this discovery board, and they are available in many electronic shops uh, like Mouse or DigiKey. Uh, then uh, the QR code scanner, uh, it is a little bit uh, longer to wait because they are coming from China. Uh, but they're also not security critical because uh, it is basically a dedicated thing uh, that only uh, captures images and uh, transfers this uh, data uh, to the main microcontroller. Uh, and uh, in principle, the only extra thing that you need is um, the pins to connect the wires. Uh, and these are also like 20 cents or so in any electronic store. Uh, and uh, for full air gaps and uh, to make it like, self-contained, um, you probably want to add a power bank uh, so the board can be powered from uh, one of uh, USB ports, uh, taking a normal 5 volts from the power bank. So basically three components uh, that you can put together without any soldering. Uh, makes sense to use some duct tape to uh, connect it all together. Uh, but if you have uh, nice soldering skills, uh, then you can also make it a little bit more fancy. So like the very first early prototype that I made, uh, I just put together in a day a um, prototype board where I had a, a battery and the QR code scanner, everything wired and connected to this uh, Arduino uh, compatible headers uh, directly. So then it is a little bit more compact uh, and uh, easier to use. Yeah. Great. And can you give us an idea of the cost involved? So I think that the discovery board is around uh, 60 bucks, uh, QR code scanner is uh, around uh, 40, uh, power bank, uh, I have no idea, probably people have uh, power banks lying around at home, so let's say it's free. Uh, so in principle, uh, in one hundred dollars, you can uh, get the device uh, fully assembled. Uh, then probably you want to add some cost for the uh, 3D printed enclosure or something. And uh, it's very nice to see that people in the community are actually building these enclosures and uh, putting them online as well. So you can uh, either download uh, files uh, or um, buy directly from them. Uh, and uh, yeah, so this is like uh, 100. And if you are talking about uh, our uh, developer kits that this extension board uh, that includes the, both the battery and the QR code scanner and the uh, smart card slot, then I think it's around 90, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so then it will be a little bit more expensive, but also you will have a, a possibility to uh, have a secure element. Ah, oh, great, great. Uh, and so um, how would you compare this kind of wallet versus some of the other hardware wallets that are out there, some you know, like Trezor and Ledger and Coldcard and so on? Um, okay, so first, 
we introduced a few uh, different modes of operation of this hardware wallet. Uh, so, for example, with Trezor and Ledger and Code Cards, uh, the only way how you use them uh, is how uh, they are designed. So, Trezor uh, stores the um, secrets on the microcontroller. Code card stores it on the uh, secure element, uh, but gets the secret every time when you want to do any cryptography. And Ledger does uh, the other way around that all the cryptography is happening on the secure element and the secret stays there. Uh, so uh, in uh, our uh, model, we have uh, different uh, options. So first, uh, when you turn on the device, and you enter your recovery phrase, it doesn't actually save the recovery phrase. So then it operates in, uh, let's say, amnesic mode. So whenever you turn off the device, it just forgets the secret. And it's pretty hard to hack something that doesn't store the secret. Mm, so uh, if you remember your recovery phrase, for example, uh, then you don't really need to uh, store the secret anywhere. You just retype it every time when you turn on the device. Uh, then uh, the second is more like Trezor uh, security model. So you can save the secret um, on the microcontroller itself, uh, on the uh, this application microcontroller. But uh, this is uh, how we call it reckless mode. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, uh, application microcontrollers are pretty easy to hack. And, uh, yeah, you know, you probably also saw plenty of uh, hacks on Trezors mostly. Uh, I mean, Trezor is great, but uh, this is what you can do with uh, fully uh, open source uh, microcontroller. Uh, then uh, another option that we added recently is uh, SD card support. So basically, when you insert your SD card into the device, uh, and uh, you can store your secret encrypted uh, on this SD card. Uh, and then, for example, you can keep your hardware wallet at home and you always take your SD card uh, with you. And only when you have both of the pieces together, uh, then you have access to secret because it requires both the uh, part of the secret encryption secret that is stored on the device and uh, the SD card that actually uh, stores your Bitcoin uh, private key uh, encrypted. Uh, and uh, so this is more like uh, something in between uh, Trezor and Code Card, I would say. Uh, hard to really uh, align them. Yeah. Uh, and then with Java cards, we have two applets now. Uh, one, if you don't trust Java cards because they are using proprietary uh, Java card OS, and then our open source applet is built on top of that. Uh, then you can use uh, the model similar to cold card uh, when your secret is stored on this uh, secure element, uh, but it is also encrypted, it is pin protected, uh, but uh, yeah, you need uh, the device to get the secret out and you do all the cryptography uh, on the main uh, microcontroller. Uh, and then the last one is more like ledger security model where you can put your secret on the Java card and all the crypto is also happening there. And then there is no way to get uh, the secret out of the secure element. So yeah, trying to cover all possible uh, security models and everybody can decide uh, what fits better for them. I see, um, yeah. And I, I suppose this is one of those points where depending on how you are using the device, uh, it like for example, you might do it in a more, let's say, reckless way 
but if you're doing it as part of a multi-signature quorum, well, then maybe that makes sense for you depending on how you're thinking about your security um, versus if you were you know, to try using this maybe for like small amounts as kind of like a more um, single signature, small amount kind of warm wallet thing. Um, yeah. Maybe that would make sense for you. Yeah, this is actually how I use it. Uh, so I have uh, uh, one of Bitcoin keys that is saved on the device that I use for, uh, well, not everyday spending, but uh, spending from time to time. Uh, and uh, then I also have my uh, recovery phrase, well, that I remember, uh, that I use in the multi-signature setup with uh, other hardware wallets. Uh, and actually, Spectre Desktop appeared uh, as a tool for uh, this cooperation between, uh, well, creating the multi-signature, coordination of the multi-signature between wallets, because uh, we started designing it as a multi-signature uh, cosigner. Uh, and so we just needed a tool that uh, will be able to work with other hardware wallets as well. Um, a few other things that uh, kind of what we make slightly differently comparing from other hardware wallets. Um, yeah, so AirGap is nothing new now because we have already Coba that is also using QR codes for uh, communication. Uh, CodeCard uh, is a pioneer of uh, AirGap, so they use SD cards. Uh, and uh, yeah, ours is also uh, AirGap. Uh, and uh, then another thing is uh, we are using Bitcoin Core's uh, library Lipsec P256K1, uh, and uh, everybody else, as far as I know, uses something different. So Trezor and Coldcard use Trezor's uh, cryptographic library, uh, and Ledger uses uh, their uh, hardware um, accelerated uh, elliptic curve uh, implementation, probably. Uh, so here we have also uh, something different on the cryptography side. So that also helps uh, for this multi-signature because uh, more your hardware wallet, well, if your hardware wallets are very, very different, then uh, the probability of hacking all of them uh, goes to zero, basically. Actually, one other point I wanted to go back to, just with the QR codes, um, what's your thought on... Well, first of all, um, how much data you can transfer through a QR code. And maybe you just want to tell us a little bit about the use now of like animated or GIF QR codes as opposed to just the standalone QR codes. Have you found that to be a better experience or more like easy to make it work? Uh, yes, yeah, so it is. Uh, it is really great. So uh, I uh, I want to mention that uh, Christopher Allen is uh, doing a really great job uh, with his team uh, standardizing these uh, animated QR codes, uh, dynamic QR codes, and uh, this is really great because then you don't have a limit on the amount of data that you can transfer. So you just uh, keep scanning a large PSBT without any problems. Uh, so uh, what uh, is tricky is when you are using QR codes, uh, then you need to process an image. And then uh, you need a pretty large uh, image processing library somewhere uh, that uh, does it for you. And then more code means uh, larger attack surface. Uh, so what we decided to do, uh, instead of using a camera and uh, displaying the image that you are scanning on the screen, that would be much more convenient from the user perspective. Uh, but uh, we decided to go other way around. So we have a dedicated QR code scanning module that has a separate microcontroller that does all the image processing. And then uh, sends the data that it scanned 
uh, to the main market controller uh, over a very simple UART serial interface. Uh, so then uh, we kind of decouple this additional attack surface from the main microcontroller that is uh, controlling the secrets to a dedicated one. So I would say that uh, it is a reasonable trade-off in terms of security. And uh, also we uh, use a slightly uh, modified uh, PSBT transaction format. So like uh, it is PSBT, uh, but in order to uh, decrease the amount of data that we are sending back and forth, uh, we actually uh, Use uh, some proprietary fields that are specified uh, in uh, yeah. So in PSBT standard, you you can use uh, certain proprietary fields uh, to tell the hardware wallet what wallet to use. So I mean, you don't need to pass uh, a lot of data if you know that the hardware wallet knows about the wallet. You don't need derivation passes uh, for every consigner. You don't need XPUBs. You don't need witness scripts. You don't need uh, many many things. If you assume that the hardware wallet knows about the wallet. Uh, so uh, our approach here is that uh, you set up the device and tell the device that, okay, this is the wallet that I want to use. It is, for example, uh, 7 of 11 Multisig. Uh, and uh, yeah, now whenever I want to sign for this wallet, I just can say uh, the hardware wallet, okay, use this wallet and you know how to derive everything for that. And this is just the last two indexes of the derivation path that you need. Uh, otherwise, you figure out everything yourself. And uh, when we tried this, we actually saw that in 90% uh, of cases, uh, everything fits in one pretty small QR code. So that's also nice. So then you have one QR code in one direction and one QR code in another direction. Yeah. Also, I'm curious uh, around whether you see any uh, kind of the flip side, the risks around QR codes and whether that could be used to uh, maybe, I don't know the exact term, but maybe some kind of malformed QR or some kind of malware or some kind of maybe sort of kind of like a SQL injection attack, that kind of thing. Is that sort of thing possible with this approach of using QR codes? Uh, yeah, is that possible? Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is a threat. Uh, if you are processing QR codes uh, on the um, security critical microcontroller, and as we separated it uh, in a different one, uh, I think it's less of a threat. Uh, but also, I mean, I can say the same about uh, SD cards. Uh, so, if there is a malformed SD card that is communicating with the main microcontroller uh, and uh, prepares malicious uh, packets pretending that it is uh, sending the file data, uh, you can also get the same. So I don't think that there is uh, any communication channel that is perfect in that sense. And uh, yeah, just need to be uh, tested and better if it is uh, like really limited and one uh, unidirectional. Yeah, so SD card and QR codes, uh, in my opinion, uh, are roughly on the same, um, yeah, on the same risk area i see and just to clarify there so as an example let's say it was some kind of malformed you know image or malformed sd card um uh, malware kind of thing um in that sort of scenario could it basically trick the hardware wallet into thinking it's signing you know to the same address like as an example i'm sending to address you know one two three uh and like on the hardware wallet device, would it still 
show that or what we're getting at here is essentially it could be malformed in such a way that it shows you know four five six instead of one two three you get what mm. i'm asking uh yeah yeah uh, i understand so um i think uh there are more chances to trick the hardware wallet not by uh using malicious qr code or sd card uh, but instead just by uh exploiting some vulnerabilities in the psbt transaction parsing or something uh, so, uh, yeah, if, for example, the hardware wallet doesn't verify the PSBT properly. Uh, in principle, there is still a risk that uh, yeah, you get arbitrary untrusted data from the host or from somewhere, and it, there could be some overflows, uh, and uh, maybe that can be escalated in arbitrary code execution. And if you have arbitrary code execution, then uh, it can do whatever you want, uh, with whatever it wants uh, with the uh, with the microcontroller, basically. Uh, but uh, I think that if uh, we put enough efforts into actually checking this particular piece so like we uh, really need to make sure that the data that we are getting from the host should be completely untrusted and verified with uh, many many ways so like uh, the size the well the data fields the format everything uh, and if you put a lot of effort into this piece uh, then you are pretty safe so this is like the largest uh, attack surface uh, because you're getting some random data from the host um, so i mean uh, in that sense uh, if you have limited uh, data flow uh, it is better yeah, yeah i see it is and, still and, a risk and, sure right i see yeah and and look i think in fairness as well it's it's one of those things where you can talk about some kind of more obscure kind of attacks but ultimately we shouldn't let that stop us from taking additional you know taking steps to improve our security and if by using this additional device we can start using multi-signature well then you know, you kind of have to take the, you know, take the good with the bad, right? And if it's an overall net improvement, well, then I think that's a fair way of looking at it. Um, and I, I think it's also uh, really cool to point out as well that uh, when you do these QR scan uh, PSBTs, it's actually a really excellent experience. Like um, when you, I've tried it with um, Spectre Desktop and using like the Kobo QR back and forth. Um, and it's like really, really cool to see the kind of, scan the QR and sign it and then um, basically flip the screen back and now you're showing the QR of the signed PSBT and then Spectre Desktop can now take that and then now that's ready to, you know, that's another signature. So it's a really cool um, experience for the user as well. So that's also something that uh, listeners can consider there also. Um, uh, so, yes, uh, it is yeah. also very convenient, like uh, even if you have, uh, for example, Spectre uh, desktop on your mobile, uh, then you can use this QR code scanning, uh, like a simple flip and flip uh, procedure, and you don't need to connect anything uh, to the USB uh, of, the, of your phone. Uh, so you don't need all this uh, communication with USB hardware wallet. So it's uh, also easier to yeah much easier to uh to to yeah just to use this kind of uh, hardware wallet yeah. yeah and actually i'm now i'm also thinking of um in the older days when people used to use the whole armory offline um which i'm sure you you probably are familiar with also stepan but i know uh there there were i've heard of stories where people were trying to use like 
a laptop with another laptop to try and scan the QR off like an armory offline sort of style setup. And now obviously in November, 2020, we're much more advanced with that. And now we've actually got devices that can do that for us. So that's actually very handy also. Yeah, but you still can do uh, laptops. I mean, if you don't trust hardware wallets, uh, you can actually use an air-gap laptop. And we tried it recently uh, with Spectre Desktop. So uh, you can have uh, a Spectre Desktop with Bitcoin Core running on the air-gap machine and used as a signer and another laptop that is connected to the internet used as a um, coordinator. The online, Uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, it sounds uh, it looks ridiculous when you try to scan a QR code on one laptop using another laptop. So it's like uh, this laptop sandwich, uh, but uh, it works. Yeah, so and I think that there might be people that uh, find it uh, more useful and more uh, confident to use this kind of setup. Back to the show in a moment after a word for the sponsors. Lend at HodlHodl is a global, non-custodial, Bitcoin-backed lending platform that allows you to lend and borrow anonymously on your own terms. HodlHodl offers a P2P lending solution, ensuring a secure and transparent collateral storage system by providing unique multi-sig escrow for each deal. This is a way to grow your savings and earn attractive returns on your investment. So if you have any stablecoins lying around, create your offers and earn interest by lending on Lend at HodlHodl. Or if you are a Bitcoiner and need some liquidity, you can borrow stablecoins and keep hodling. With HodlHodl's Lend platform, you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and interest rates. Go and check it out at lend.hodlhodl.com. And lastly, Unchained Capital is building Bitcoin-native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. Their multi-sig vaults are designed for ultra-secure long-term storage and have no setup or storage fees if you build them on your own. If you want the white glove treatment, their team will teach you all about multi-signature, ship you two hardware wallets, answer all of your questions, and then deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault through their concierge service. You can buy Bitcoin through their OTC desk for purchases $50,000 or higher straight into your new vault, which is great for Bitcoin self-directed retirement accounts and for companies moving Bitcoin to Treasury. Their advanced business accounts, OTC desk and concierge service can also help move your corporate treasury to Bitcoin where your team controls the private keys. Check them out and enter code Levera when ordering a concierge onboarding service to get $50 off. Check out unchained-capital.com for more. One other point, actually, just on QRs, I've noticed in some cases it can be difficult if you've got a bad webcam, for example. Like sometimes, depending on what laptop or computer you're using, sometimes it's like hard to do the QR stuff if like the webcam on, it's like a old, you know, crappy laptop. Sometimes the webcam is a bit difficult. Have you seen that kind of thing or is it more like in your experience it's actually worked pretty consistently? Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, especially if you have a very uh, shitty webcam and you are, for example, uh, it's uh, late in the evening, so your lights are dim uh, in the room, then you might have problems scanning the QR codes. Uh, so it can be solved. Uh, so we have this uh, feature similar to what Koba has, uh, like you swipe or click on the QR code and it goes uh full screen with a white background, then the webcam uh, handles it easier. Uh, but still, sometimes there are problems. Yeah, so we are trying to solve it. So uh, you need to reduce the QR code's uh, frame size, uh, for example, and then like uh, have more sequential QR codes to get it uh, scanning more reliably. Um, 
I don't really know what you can do with it. We all, the only thing that we can do, we can use a laptop with a very bad webcam uh, ourselves and uh, try to find a way to make it working. Yeah, so I'm lucky in that sense. I have a very crappy webcam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going uh, the extra mile. Um, and I think the other big point of this, like the whole point, uh, one of the points of this uh, Spectre DIY device is the, uh, the idea of trying to remove supply chain risks. So how much supply chain risk do you see with, uh, let's say, the other hardware wallets uh, and potentially this is something that, okay, so let's say over the next year or two, there's a big bull market and, you know, it kind of goes crazy and it's hard to, you know, we start seeing a lot of those resellers of the fake treasures or whatever. I guess that's the kind of risk that we could see in terms of supply chain. Uh, We might see more and more people try to do that kind of, fake hardware wallet attack right uh, yeah, I think that uh, there were already a few attacks like that. So I do remember that uh, there were uh, like uh, there was a shop of like a reseller of the ledger uh, on Amazon uh, that was uh, shipping the device with already pre-initialized recovery phrase. Uh, so the guy just wrote down the recovery phrase on the recovery sheet and was shipping it with the recovery sheet that he obviously knows. Uh, so these kind of things. Uh, I think with Trezor it might might uh, happen as well at some point, uh, but uh, at the moment these um, attacks are very simple. And if you just keep a few simple rules, like only order the device from uh, directly from the vendor, so from the web shop of Trezor Ledger, uh, Code Card, and so on, uh, then it's much harder to perform this kind of attack. There is still a possibility that uh, some DHL delivery guy uh, will take your device and uh, open it and do something with it or replace it. Uh, But I think that at the moment we are not at this stage, but I am expecting that something like that may happen in the future. Yeah, so uh, there is a risk, uh, but uh, everybody should be careful, yeah. Yeah, and 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 to be fair, it's not just that risk as well of coming from the hardware wallet, but it to the customer. But it could also be an upstream supply risk, so it could be unknown to that actual hardware wallet manufacturer. Mm, so yeah, if uh, the uh, hardware wallet is manufactured somewhere like outsourced, uh, then these uh, factory workers can also uh, do something with the chips, and it is also a little bit scary. But as far as I know, uh, Ledger and uh, Trezor are manufacturing uh, all the wallets uh, in-house, so like in Czech Republic and in France. Uh, so they kind of have a better control of the uh, manufacturing process. Yeah, so and that's good that they're taking this step yeah yeah um all right and so in terms of i guess the downsides of uh this wallet i guess you would say it's it's it, you know it's relatively new it's you know um it, it still kind of needs a bit of time to be battle tested um but uh do you have any other views to share on that um, yeah so that uh, that's definitely true so the project is uh mm, pretty immature uh, so the team is pretty small so at the moment uh, i'm working on all the high level logic 
uh, of uh, Spectre DIY and Mike, uh, our security guy, is doing more low-level stuff. So like the secure bootloaders, his work and uh, things like that. So basically, uh, the problem is that, yeah, we have a very small team, not enough code reviews, uh, no really like uh, certifications or whatever. Uh, so this is very, very welcome. Uh, and also regarding the Java car applet, for example, um, would be nice to review that because this uh, is the thing that is storing the secrets. So, but we also have this disclaimer in uh, the repository that it is a work in progress. Uh, so um, I still think that uh, Spectre can be used uh, either for small amounts uh, or as a signer in the multi six setup. Uh, because, uh, yeah, um, I mean, I hope, uh, I, I believe it, it will happen for sure that the project will become more mature uh, and we will also be able to uh, confidently say that, okay, this is now a secure hardware wallet that you can use for your main funds. But, uh, I mean, Multisig is always better. It's, uh, it adds a little bit uh, of complexity of the backup, uh, but otherwise... Um, yeah, as I was saying in all my talks, uh, everything can be hacked, including our hardware wallet. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if we were to talk about using it as part of a multi-sig, so obviously you can use it as part of with alongside Spectre Desktop, which is uh, a great multi-sig coordinator app. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that looks like if you want to use it as part of a multi-sig quorum? Um, so, <clears throat> basically, the setup is very similar to any other hardware wallet. So, first, you need to get your uh, master public keys uh, into Spectre Desktop or any other coordinator. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this is just scanning QR codes. Uh, and uh, after that, uh, you can create the multi-signature wallet. Uh, and you need to import this wallet into the device. As I mentioned before, we are um, using this uh, assumption, we are assuming that the hardware wallet knows about the multi-sig wallet, and also it helps the hardware wallet to verify uh, the transaction. So uh, if it knows about the wallet, then it can uh, say that, okay, this is actually change, and this change goes back to exactly the same wallet. Or, uh, for example, you have two outputs and one goes to one wallet that I know and another one goes to another wallet that I know. Uh, so for that, uh, in Spectre Desktop, you just need to uh, get the QR code with the descriptor of the wallet. And Spectre DIY uh, just scans this descriptor and can calculate the addresses and all other information from that. So, yeah, we are uh, using uh, Bitcoin Core descriptors uh, as the definition of the wallet. Right, and that's a more advanced feature also as uh, I, don't, I don't think many other wallets are using um, output descriptors natively. So that's a cool uh, point to note there. So I guess... In practice, that's actually two descriptors, right? Because one would be, uh, I forgot which one's which, but one's the internal chain and the external chain, one's the change chain, right? So mm -hmm. I guess you would have both descriptors, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, we simplified it a bit such that uh, we can scan only the uh, receiving descriptor. 
Uh, and then if it is uh, slash zero slash star, then we can assume that the change descriptor is basically the same, just the derivation path is uh, using uh, slash one slash, uh, slash star. So basically you can scan one descriptor and get a default uh, receiving and uh, change branches there. Uh, I uh, think I that it would be nice to have like more general descriptors such that you can define, okay, this is the receiving and this completely different thing uh, is the change, uh, but uh, we didn't implement that yet. So it would be nice to have actually. Yeah, but we also don't see the demand really because uh, everybody is using currently the default uh, multi-seek and default descriptors. Uh, so we can uh, leave like this for now. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also... I'm curious about whether you would be interested to do this kind of feature or whether that already exists is this idea of, um, so for example, let's say you want to use Michael Flaxman's, you know, uh, guide and you want to do a seed picker. Um, and that guide currently, uh, you need to basically, you would pick out 23 words and then the, the 24th word is a checksum. So is that something that you might be able to kind of internally calculate inside the wallet or on the device? Uh, so we actually uh, integrated this uh, feature recently. So two uh, features on the uh, entropy side. Uh, the first one is uh, you can use like meat generated entropy. Uh, so you just throw the dices and uh, pick the words in random or like you use a hat with uh, this, uh, all the words cut it and you select uh, 12, 18 or 24 words. Uh, and uh, in Spectre DIY, you start entering these words, and then when you hit uh, to the twelfth uh, word um, and enter the last twelfth word, uh, it will suggest you to fix this word if it detects that the uh, checksum is incorrect. So basically, you can generate the recover phrase fully offline uh, and uh, using only physical entropy and then uh, fix the last word similar to what uh, seed picker does. So the only difference is that seed picker is uh, adding the 24th word and we instead are fixing the 24th word. Uh, so uh, fixing makes it uh, the, the whole process a little bit more deterministic. So instead of... Um, filling some bits with zeros we actually use all the entropy of the user but uh, replace the checksum with the correct one uh, and then another uh, interesting feature that we added recently if you are not uh, sure about how good is the um, true random number generator that is on the device uh, then when you are generating the recovery phrase uh, it first uh, shows you the recovery phrase that you can use uh, just like that or you can click on every of the words, uh, see the corresponding like 11 bit string and then flip the bits. So basically you can uh, take, for example, 11 coins, uh, shuffle them and uh, yeah, throw them and see which of the uh, coins are heads and tails. And then on the corresponding word, you just flip the corresponding bits. So then you're basically XORing uh, the entropy, mixing together the entropy that was generated by the hardware uh, with your own physical entropy. And uh, it is fully verifiable. It doesn't change uh, any other word uh, except the last one to maintain the correct checksum. Uh, and then you kind of improve your uh, randomness even further because if you are XORing two uh, random numbers, the result is uh better than any of the incoming randomness uh, random yeah uh, i see yeah 
So that's the, again, uh, so this is one of those points where I don't understand it fully myself, but there's this uh, function called XOR. And so that basically mixes the randomness together. And that's kind of a function that helps you get additional randomness. But I, I wouldn't be able to <laughs> explain any of the detail around exactly how it's doing that. Um, yeah, sorry, but, uh, sorry for going a little bit into uh, technical details, but I think that it is also like another level of paranoia. So like if you are uh, very paranoid, then you probably want to figure out how this feature works and uh, use it as well. Yeah, so you can yep. use that. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, so in terms of future plans, uh, is what can you share with us there? I know. Um, so recently, you were t you were chatting a little bit about uh, the use of a, a secure uh, microcontroller. Um, so yeah, uh, the interesting thing that uh, I uh, figured out uh, in uh, Embedded's uh, conference last year that now there is actually a microcontroller uh, that doesn't require that is secure and doesn't require NDA. Uh, so Maxim Integrated, the company, American company, decided to make this experiment. Uh, they developed a chip that doesn't require NDA, but it has uh, um, certain features uh, like voltage and clock monitors uh, that uh, provide you some hardware security. Uh, so it is not like the high-grade secure element because, uh, well, that kind of microcontrollers normally go through the certification and then they require NDA uh, because uh, to get higher points in the certification, if your thing is closed source, you get extra points. Uh, and this one is slightly different, but still it's... Uh, the unique thing is that it doesn't require NDA and it has some hardware security. Uh, so we were thinking about using that and uh, designing uh, basically the uh, the boards that will look exactly the same uh, as the uh, Java card that includes that microcontroller inside and that can be a drop-in replacement for our current Java card implementation. So we will still uh, maintain the Java card parts and uh, also make uh, this fully open source um, version uh, that uh, you can control better and we can control better. So that's uh, very nice. Uh, yeah, and yeah, looking so, forward so to this. Yeah. Out of curiosity, do you know roughly how much that piece of equipment costs? Uh, the microcontroller costs like 20 bucks, maybe 10 bucks. I don't know. They are really cheap. All the microcontrollers oh, okay. are very cheap. Even the secure yeah. element that is like high grade and NDA graded and so and certified, they cost uh, nothing really. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, anything else you can share with us in terms of uh, future plans and what you're doing with Spectre DIY? Uh, yeah. So one important thing is uh, we start uh, the limited edition of uh, li limited sale of our uh, developer kit, our Spectre Shields. Uh, this is what I mentioned that includes the QR code scanner, smart cards, uh, and um, also we are uh, cooperating with CryptoClocks to make the nice 3D printed casing for the board. Uh, and uh, I think that we will put the shop online uh, when this uh, podcast is out. Uh, so basically, uh, there you can buy either the fully assembled thing together with the discovery boards uh, and uh, the smart cards, uh, or you can only get the uh, this extension board uh, and order the rest of the parts that are like security critical from um, from random suppliers. Um, and uh, it will be like 
Orange Pioneer Edition 50 pieces uh, because we want to get some feedback, initial feedback from the users to see uh, what we can improve and how we can get it, make it better. Uh, because uh, at the moment, uh, yeah, there are a few people that uh, actually assembled uh, the DIY themselves and are using them, uh, and we get some feedback from that. But uh, currently, there is no easy way to get the smart card secure element support for it. So and that's why we are starting that. Uh, then, uh, otherwise, uh, on the future plans, uh, let's see how it goes with uh, yeah with the response of the community, and uh, maybe we can uh, do something like a fully manufactured uh, version of Spectre DIY. So one thing to note here that we will always maintain the DIY uh, kind of spirit of the project. So uh, DIY first. And then uh, all this uh, stuff that we sell is more like for convenience, for lazy people or for uh, not very sophisticated people, right? Uh, or, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be really, really nice to have uh, like uh, more uh, feedback, but also more contributions because, uh, yeah, you can do many things with this hardware wallet uh, and uh, like... Really looking forward to things like uh, Miniscript, uh, maybe Lightning and CoinJoin uh, and uh, Liquid Network. Uh, all these kind of things are really, really exciting. Uh, so let's see how it goes. Schnorr coming soon. That will be huge. Uh, yeah. Mm, then, uh, other, other than that, uh, Spectre, like the whole project, uh, we tried to make it uh, platform independent. So in principle, uh, you don't have to use this discovery board and uh, everything, all the hardware that we selected, uh, but actually it can be ported to anything else. So if you want to make a version that is uh, with Bluetooth and using ESP32 or M5 stack or something like that, uh, in principle, it is possible to port it there. So uh, I think it would be very nice to have like uh, maybe some documentation and the guide how exactly to port it, because then... Uh, you spread the risk uh, of the supply chain even further because the, now people don't know what exactly you will buy for the Spectre DIY. Um, and uh, another interesting platform to look at is actually RISC-V microcontrollers that are uh, coming. There are a few that are very powerful already. Uh, and RISC-V, as it is a new architecture, uh, it also has some extra security features and also don't have uh, legacy uh, lying around and uh, potentially introducing some random um, backdoors uh, in your microcontroller. So that's yeah. uh, also nice. Yeah. Uh, and in general, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> too many plans, too many plans. <laughs> 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 Actually, just on the risk point, risk five. Um, yeah. So my understanding with that, it stands for I think reduced instruction set uh, computing or something like that. But essentially, it's like this whole push towards open hardware, right? So I guess the idea is we want not just open software, but we want open hardware, and this is part of the push in that direction, also, right? Uh, Risk five. It is a little bit tricky. Yeah. So it is a standardized instruction set, and then the idea is that any any uh, silicon vendor can implement the microcontroller that implements this set, without the need to pay uh, royalty fees. Uh, 
how open they are is a different question because normally the microcontrollers uh, are not just the core and the instruction set. They also put a lot of other components there. And uh, most of the companies that are manufacturing RISC-V chips now, they still put proprietary stuff around it. Uh, but the nice thing is that you can actually take this instruction set and you put it, for example, on the FPGA, uh, and uh, it is like a more open and controllable platform where you basically define how transistors are wired together uh, and then have uh, your own uh, RISC-V microcontroller based on that. It will be a little bit more expensive, but it is way more open. So less probabilities of uh, backdoors uh, by the manufacturer or implementer. And I think one very important project in this space is uh, Precursor by Bunny. Mm, so this is the uh, RISC-V based uh, communication device, basically that would be a replacement for your phone or for encrypted calls and uh, things like that, and also like uh, for storing the keys. And he's using exactly that, so FPGAs and RISC-V uh, implementation there. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can also just get rid of the wireless, mo uh, wireless uh, module there, and then you get a very interesting hardware wallet from it. Very cool. Yeah, thanks for clarifying there. I, yeah, uh, it's uh, interesting to see what's happening with that stuff as well. Uh, I'm definitely excited to uh, get a Spectre DIY for myself. So I'll definitely be uh, hitting up that web store when it's available. Um, also, wanted to just chat while we've got you here, also to chat a little bit about Spectre desktop updates. You guys have recently put out a new version and you've got some you know, new features coming and things like that. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the latest version and any uh, highlights that you want to hit there? Uh, yeah, so from the last time when we were on your podcast with Ben, many things happened. So we uh, released the app that is actually a standalone app. Uh, we got uh, the uh, Tor support that is kind of working and uh, improving that uh, currently. Uh, we got replaced by fee. That is a very important feature for uh, high fees or crazy, fee, crazy random fees that we currently have uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, then, uh, in general, the app became much more stable, and this is uh, mostly uh, due to uh, Ben and Kim. So Kim uh, is uh, uh, not so loud contributor to uh, Spectre Desktop that is doing all the infrastructure, continuous integration, testing, and stuff. So uh, thanks to that, uh, thanks to his work, we became much more stable and uh, now we are really uh, aiming to get to version one uh, so we still need to fix a few things uh, but uh, other than that uh, i think in uh, uh, a month maybe we will get to version one that we can say that okay spectra desktop is now uh, stable and usable and uh, yeah go for it we can recommend it for sure yeah if I mean, I can recommend it even now, but uh, I mean, I know that there are bugs from time to time. Uh, yeah, and uh, it was super exciting to see uh, how people actually, how many people uh, are actually using Spectre Desktop and uh, all this uh, community support and shout outs. It's just crazy. So we just, the whole team is so happy now. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I think it's, uh, yeah, you've had a really good uh, community response. I think uh, a lot of people were looking for something like this. Um, I was also curious, uh, the recent version, it mentions an offline mode. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? 
Uh, yeah, so this, uh, I mentioned it uh, a little bit earlier about this air gap laptop. So the offline mode uh, is that uh, if you have an old laptop and Wi-Fi doesn't work or you can turn it off, for example, um, or you buy cheap uh, laptops where you can get rid of the Wi-Fi, uh, then you can put there basically a couple bin binaries, uh, Bitcoin Core and Spectre Desktop. Uh, and then you can uh, use it uh, as a signer. So Bitcoin Core will be signing the transactions. Uh, Spectre Desktop will take care of the user interface and uh, scanning of the QR codes and displaying the QR codes. Uh, and uh, then, yeah, your old laptop can become a pretty good uh, air gap machine that uh, is used as uh, one more signer. Uh, so you probably know about uh, this Glacier protocol, something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, so I think that they uh, recommend uh, uh, using air gap laptops as a signers. Uh, but the user flow, user interface, and kind of all the uh, complexity of the setup is uh, a little bit uh, too much for me, I would say. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so we tried to implement uh, this in a little bit more user-friendly way. Uh, and uh, yeah, we tested recently and it works and uh, it works uh, really great. So on this AirGap uh, laptop, you can verify the change. You can uh, see the outputs, the addresses and everything. And you still use uh, signing uh, functionality of Bitcoin Core. Uh, so yeah, if you trust Bitcoin Core, uh, then this is probably a pretty good uh, candidate for yeah. one of the signers. Yeah. Also, uh, sorry, I, I might have you might have mentioned this, but I, I think I missed it. So, does the Spectre offline mode does that actually have private keys, or how how are you how are you managing that uh, in terms of the private key part of it for the offline one? Uh, so, yeah, uh, on the offline mode, uh, what you create you create a, a hot Bitcoin Core wallet, even though it is not hot if it is offline. Uh, but uh, yeah, then you enter your uh, recovery phrase there, and then this recovery phrase is converted to uh, private keys and loaded into Bitcoin Core. Uh, so if you want to keep it fully stateless, uh, then you probably need to clean up Bitcoin Core after that. So just delete the wallet files that uh, Spectre created. Uh, otherwise, uh, it stores uh, private keys uh, in Bitcoin Core wallet. Uh, but I think that you also can uh, encrypt it. Uh, so Bitcoin Core wallet functionality supports encryption with a long password. Uh, or I think if you use something like a stateless uh, OS, uh, like Tails, for example, it will clean everything up for you uh, automatically. Yeah, um, great. And also with the Tor support, uh, is that that's for is that Windows and Mac? And essentially, you what would you use that to? Would you use that to? try and automatically connect back to your, let's say you've got a Bitcoin core node running at home. Is that the idea or what would you, um, how would yeah, you use so that? This is the idea that you have a node in the box, uh, either uh, my nodes or Raspberry Blitz or your own homebrew thing or Umbro. Uh, and uh, if it has uh, Spectre or if it exposes uh, Bitcoin RPC over Tor, uh, then you connect to it uh, from your laptop. Uh, 
so basically in this case what you need you can have uh, this remote spectra that is running on your node uh, that is managing all the wallets and watching all the addresses and prepares the transaction and then you have the app uh, on your laptop uh, that is uh, providing the access to the hardware wallets uh, for uh, this uh, remote spectra so this is uh, one of the models so you can uh, avoid running Bitcoin Core on your laptop and still use uh, Spectre for signing um, with your hardware wallets while you are uh, somewhere on a trip or not at home. Uh, and uh, alternatively, if you don't run remote Spectre, this Spectre on the node, and you just expose Bitcoin RPC over Tor, then you can uh, also connect to Bitcoin RPC from uh, your laptop and uh, also basically do the same. Yeah. I see, yeah. And that might be obviously handy if you have, you know, multi-sig and you've got keys in different locations and you've got the laptop and you need to go around to, you know, get signatures mm -hmm. and et cetera to build the transaction and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, one other one. Would you consider bundling Bitcoin Core straight into Spectre Desktop just to make it like a one, you know, one double-click install for uh, like newbie Bitcoiners? Uh, I think it would be interesting uh, as an option uh, because, well, I mean, people use uh, Spectre in very different scenarios. So we could have like a toggle uh, in the settings that either I want to use a built-in Bitcoin Core node and then you configure it, uh, either you want to use it pruned or, or whatever, uh, or you connect to existing Bitcoin Core node. Uh, so I don't think that it will happen uh, until version one at least. So uh, it is an interesting feature, but it is not uh, on the roadmap right now. But uh, we keep in mind, keep in mind that yeah, that might be easier. And I also feel like uh, people that are using Spectre Desktop and trying to do like this multi-sig and uh, things, uh, they probably want to be sure that Bitcoin Core that they downloaded is actually coming from BitcoinCore.org. So yeah, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, but a little bit later yeah sure sure that totally makes sense to me um also wanted to just chat about pruning while we're here as well so right now if you want to download the bitcoin blockchain i mean as of you know november 2020 we're talking about 350 gigabytes of download um or otherwise if you want to prune it i think you can do let's say five or ten gigs worth um can you just tell us a little bit about the trade-offs there if a user wants to do spectre desktop in pruned mode um versus you know, doing the full download. Uh, and then what's the, I guess what I'm asking is what's the impact in terms of wallet scanning and wallet use if we're on a pruned version? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the pruned node, uh, it will still download all uh, 300 gigs uh, of uh, blockchain data and verify that. Uh, but while it is downloading it, it will also erase like old blocks. So it will maintain your uh, hard drive usage to like 10 gigs or so. Um, and uh, this means that you cannot easily rescan uh, if you are uh, creating or importing the old wallet that already has a transaction history. Uh, so what we currently implement is uh, you can uh, rescan the UTXO set. So you can find all your unspent transactions, uh, but then in order to import them into the uh, Bitcoin Core, you also need uh, proofs 
that uh, this uh, transaction is actually included in a certain block. And at the moment with the prune node, it is not possible. Uh, so we have a, a privacy concerning workaround uh, that you can use a block explorer, uh, for example, blockstream uh, info uh, to get these proofs. Uh, and then uh, you can import this uh, into your Bitcoin core. The idea here is that, uh, yeah, you kind of tell uh, potentially uh, chain analysis companies um, what transactions you are interested in, but then at least you uh, can use the wallet. So uh, with the, we may add, we will add, uh, an alternative to that, uh, such that after rescanning this UTXO set, when we know that uh, we need this and this and this block, uh, we can just connect to uh, our peers uh, on the Bitcoin network and download these blocks directly and then parse them and get the proofs, mm, proofs ourselves. Uh, but it is uh, still uh, in process. Yeah, so uh, at the moment, the trade-off is that uh, right now you need to communicate with uh, Block Explorer if you want to get your uh, unspent, uh, but, and you cannot get uh, full transaction history. Yeah. I see. So currently, if you, let's say you prune it, at, um, you, run, you run it pruned, and then you want to start a new wallet on the Spectre desktop. Let's say, you know, I've got a new uh, Spectre DIY, um, and it was already pruned, right? So I didn't set it up before the pruning. Then does the app as currently, you know, configured or app as currently coded, does it automatically do that fetching from blockstream.info or how does that work? It doesn't do uh, any fetching uh, automatically. So you control it always from the user interface. Uh, so if you're creating a new wallet, uh, then it will not even try to rescan. So uh, it is assuming that it is a fresh new wallet that doesn't have any funds and you can use it as normal. Uh, and uh, if you are actually triggering the rescan, uh, then you have a checkbox. Either you want to uh, connect to a block explorer to, uh, to get this data or not. Uh, and if you don't, then, uh, well, probably you will get only a fraction of UETXOs that are in the blocks that uh, are not pruned yet. Um, yeah, so this is the um, problematic part. An alternative is that when you start uh, your prompt node, you also create the wallets in Spectre Desktop. And then uh, if they are loaded during this uh, full rescan of the blockchain, it will also uh, get all the transactions from there. So this is an alternative for old wallets. But for the new wallet, you don't really need uh, a full node. So you can easily use it with a prompt and without any privacy concerns. Great. Uh, also, um, you might have touched on this earlier, but I'm wondering whether that's also a future idea, whether you would look at that kind of thing of, you know, some, uh, for example, Umbral uses like a neutrino style and then transitions over to the full node. Is that something you would look at with Spectre of using, you know, compact block filters and things like that to try and uh, give people the the ability to more quickly start up? Is that something that you mm -hmm. could do or is that kind of more like uh, not an immediate? Um, uh, I think goal? it is a very interesting uh, thing. And uh, one feature that is missing in Bitcoin Core at the moment uh, that would be very useful is uh, to be able to use uh, these uh, block filters uh, while using a pruned node. Because, okay, the pruned node during the sync is downloading all the blocks, so it could potentially calculate uh, all the uh, all these neutrino filters. Uh, 
uh, and then you can use that to recover your full transaction history, at least find uh, the blocks that you care about. Uh, so we can uh, do something like that, uh, like to build uh, a custom block filter builder uh, in Spectre Desktop that is uh, checking out your print node and for every box calculates this uh, neutrino filters. That would work. Or we can connect to uh, the nodes that provide these block filters. Uh, the problem here is uh, that there are not too many nodes that uh, announce this feature. So uh, you have a limited set of nodes that can give you this uh, neutrino filters. Uh, and also you cannot really verify these filters unless you download the block. So they can like uh, about that. But on the other hand, um, there is no real reason for uh, lying you about that uh, because, uh, well, what is the benefit? So in principle, uh, we can connect to these nodes and get all the block filters for uh, all the blocks. And then from this information, we can get the information what blocks we need for the transaction history and then get these blocks uh, and then get the transaction history. Uh, it's a little bit uh, complicated. Uh, but it is definitely a very interesting thing to try out. And I was thinking about that in the background for the last month or so. And hopefully I will find some time and uh, prototype something uh, that would work with neutrino filters. That's awesome. Yeah, and I just want to say I really I'm a big fan of Spectre Desktop. I think it's a great um, piece of software. I really like using it. Uh, and I've definitely I can see why it's been so popular amongst the uh, Bitcoin uh community uh, at least amongst my listeners and the people i'm chatting with um definitely very uh useful piece of software that actually makes multi-sig actually you know quite a good experience for uh, the user there so definitely uh, really appreciate the work you and the team are doing on that um uh and i suppose uh might be a good point to wrap up here so uh do you want to just uh you know, uh, tell the listeners, why should they be looking at Spectre DIY? Why should they go and get one? And uh, where can they get one if they're interested to get that? First, uh, before I go to the DIY wrap-up, uh, I want to shout out to the team, uh, to uh, Ben, Kim, Morris, and uh, Mike, who are doing an uh, amazing job, uh, kind of pushing forward uh, our project. So I'm very happy to have them in the team. And yeah, I love you guys. Uh, and regarding the DIY, uh, first of all, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it is a very uh, interesting piece of hardware that you should definitely check out. Uh, and second, uh, it is uh, very different from uh, the security models of other hardware wallets. So why not to include it in the multi-seq if you, if you have the capabilities? Uh, yeah, so uh, feedback is uh, very, very, very welcome. Uh, and we will keep improving uh, both Spectre Desktop and Spectre DIY in the upcoming months. Um, and uh, to get it, uh, it should be, I think, shop.spectre.solutions. Um, and yeah, you can just check the checkbox there and uh, get our uh, extension shield. Or uh, check out the shopping, shopping document in the repository and just get everything yourself and assemble it. Uh, it is uh, very usable without anything from us. And I think this is also a great uh, thing. Fantastic. So listeners, you can find the links. They will be in the show notes, stefanlevera.com slash 231 for this episode. Stefan, thank you very much for joining me today. 
Thank you very much for having me. I'm really enjoying talking to you every time. All right, make sure you go and support Stepan and the team. I'm a big fan of what they're doing, so definitely go and check them out. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels. 